Pharisee and a tax collector went out to pray. The Pharisee goes up and declares, Oh God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I'm righteous. I'm religious. I have good works. I tithe. Thank you. I'm not like other men. But the tax collector goes into the shadows. He beats his chest and he cries out, Oh God, forgive me, a sinner. You see, in reality, the righteous and the unrighteous are not who the world thinks they are. The unrighteous pretends to be righteous while the righteous examines himself. You see, true righteousness is coming before God, understanding that he is going to confront each and every one of us. And we have the decision. Will we pretend before him or will we examine ourselves? Today, I would like to speak to you about a strange story in the Bible that has rarely been talked about just because of how strange it seemingly is on the surface, the test of an adulterous woman. But what does this have to do with you or me? You may ask. Well, see, the Bible calls us all to become a part of the spotless bride of Christ, spiritually speaking. And this test of the adulterous woman in the Torah actually teaches a profound spiritual lesson that is relevant to each and every one of us. We start this in Numbers 5 verse 12. We say, speak to the people of Israel. And if any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, if a man lies with her sexually and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband and she is undetected, though she has defiled herself and there is no witness against her, since she was not taken in the act. And if the spirit of jealousy comes over the husband and he is jealous of his wife who has defiled herself or he's jealous, but she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest with an offering, a tenth of an ephah of barley. And the priest shall take holy water and an earthenware vessel and take some of the dust that's on the floor of the tabernacle and put it in the water. So we see this weird ritual, it seems that if there is a woman who her husband thinks he grows jealous and thinks that she may have committed adultery, yet there is no witnesses. There's no evidence, no proof that she has done such a thing. Then there is something that he can do to settle the matter once and for all. He takes goes to the priest with an offering and the priest takes water and puts dust in it. And then the woman is taken up and she has to make an oath. And this oath is the following. If no man is laid with you and if he has not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, then be free from the water of bitterness that brings the curse. But if you have gone astray, Though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some other than your husband has laid with you, 
Then the priest shall make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh fall away, your body swell. May this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Okay, so hold up. The first question that I have about this is since when is drinking a little water with dust in it going to cause your body to swell or your thigh to rot away? This is a strange situation right here. But see, it's not about the water. It's not about the dust in the water. It's about the act of drinking it. That is making a proclamation that I am innocent. You know, even though there were no witnesses of the crime, when she is standing before God, she is standing before the witness that witnesses every action of her life. And God is the only one who knows whether she's actually pretending to be innocent or whether she is innocent. We can fool men, but when we come before God, he will intervene. He even if there was no justice among men will bring justice. And this confrontation with the living God, causes one of two things, either for the man become humble to become, to examine themselves and to repent or to lash on to pride and to pretend to be innocent. See, God comes and his presence does this, but yet there are still, I want to submit to you many who choose to pretend. But what kind of a person would act like they are innocent, drink of this water, even though the, the curse has been proclaimed to be that they may die, they will swell up, their thigh will rot away. What kind of a person still goes ahead and drinks and acts like they're innocent? You see, there are many in this world, much like that Pharisee we spoke about in the beginning. Oh God, look how holy I am. I'm not like other men pretending to be something, pretending to be righteous. That's what the unrighteous will do. And in this world, you can ask, well, what kind of a person, if they know God is there, if they know God is the witness, what kind of a person goes ahead and tests God that way? And you see, here's the reality though. We do it every day as people, what people do, is they go and they create a God in their own mind. They set up a golden calf. They call him Yahweh. They call him Jesus, but they set up a golden calf and they make him into an image of a God that would never judge, never bring justice, never come and, and do anything like that because this God only loves and that care and love that he has means that he never is a God that brings justice. He is a God that I can control. He is a God that I have set up so that I can do what I want. See, that's really what this all comes down to, isn't it? Is we all prefer God to be a certain way. We all hope for us to be able to make a golden calf of what he is and is not, just like Israel at the base of the Mount Sinai. 
When God is up there, Moses is gone, thunder and lightning and, and, and flashes and shofar blasts, trumpets like they've never heard, piercing the ears of man and animal alike. And all they can think of is let's let's make our own God here. We call him Yahweh. We call him the God, the Lord who brought us out of Egypt, but we can control him when we make him into this form. And it makes us feel at least like we can do what we want around him because, well, he's in a calf. The only problem is, is that the reality was much different, even though we can pretend to the point of even fooling ourselves that God is a calf, that God is something that he actually is not. We can set up a calf in our heart of who we think God is. But the reality is, is when he comes down from that mountain, he is God. He is who he is. And you cannot define him. You cannot contain him. You cannot say who he is and who he is not. You cannot like an accused adulterer woman come and say, I will drink of this and nothing will happen to me, even though I know I'm guilty because the God I have set up in my heart will let me get away with it. See, God comes in the first commandment. He says, as I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt, I am the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me. The moment that we do not take his word, his character or his judgment seriously, we have put up another God, a new God before him. See, brothers and sisters, the world comes and they like to teach that anyone can drink of Yeshua and partake in Yeshua, no matter what their heart and their actions are. Their actions can remain as do to do what they want to be evil, but they can drink. Jesus is for everyone welcomes everyone and everyone can stay just the way they are is what the world states. But the reality is, is that Yeshua, the Messiah, the Messiah of the Bible, Jesus came and he said, you want to follow me? You repent of your sins. You pick up your cross and you follow me. You turn away from your wicked ways and you follow me. When we look about, think about this, though, we think about this woman, we think about this test of adultery that she has to undergo. I want to submit to you that there is something very similar that many of us have undergone. Many, something that we have drank from ourselves. We call it communion oftentimes, partaking in, in the body and in the blood of the Messiah. Because Paul describes this very similarly. And he says that if you partake unworthily, if you partake with an unclean heart, there is consequence that will come upon you. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves and let so each of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats without the discerning eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak, ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. See, Paul says, I wish for you to judge yourself truly so that you're not judged. I wish for you to examine yourself so that God does not need to examine you. See that woman who's about to drink and proclaim her innocence. 
who's taking that oath ought to examine herself and recognize and say, well, look, I, I actually am guilty and I repent of that. But yet she drank water with dust in it. We drank the wine and is a picture of the blood of Christ. How much more serious. And this is why Paul said that some of you, when you do this unworthily, you do this without care for the body and blood of the Messiah. You do this with sin in your heart. You drink judgment on your head. You drink. It is like you put him on the cross all over again with your sins because you do not do what he told you to do. Yet you want to drink of him. You see, brothers, sisters, the sin of pretension is what this root really is. And this sin of pretension has crept into the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ in many ways. Many people from outside, when you talk to them, they will say, oh, those Christians, they're fake. They pretend they are hypocrites. I don't want to be a part of them. That has become the staple, the image of many in the body. And it is not without reason because indeed, have we not put a smile on our face? Have we not said everything is well and lied when everything was not well? Have we not said, look, we ought to worship God in spirit, yet we worship him in no spirit. Have we not preached the truth? Yet when our lives come down to it, there is no walking out of truth. You see, brothers and sisters, the reality is, is that the world is sick of hearing. They're sick of hearing, oh, worship Yeshua in spirit. Go call us out demons, heal the sick, we proclaim. We proclaim, oh, go and, 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 and walk like Jesus in truth, we proclaim. Walk in holiness, we proclaim. Yet do we do the things we proclaim without action? The very truth that we speak is the very thing that condemns us. Because if you speak the truth, it demonstrates that you know the truth. It demonstrates that you have a revelation of what is right and what is wrong and what you ought to do and not to do. And yet, if you do not do what you ought to do, you are more condemned than the person who is ignorant, who has no knowledge of the truth, who does not know what to do and therefore does not do. Have we not proclaimed that there is a famine of the spirit? Have we not proclaimed that there is a famine of the truth in the world? But yet do we do? Because some of us, we don't do because we don't know. And I'm not talking about those today. But I am talking about those who know but yet when we come down to it, they're too scared to do because they fear man more than they fear God. They fear the opinions of man. They have put man on the, on the throne and they have dethroned God because the reality is they fear man more than God. And if you actually feared God more than man, God would be on the throne. Man would not be, and man would not stop you from becoming all you ought to be in Yeshua. And some of us are afraid because we don't want to lose our comforts. We have grown so comfortable 
that it's easy to speak about what ought to be done and it makes us look like we know what we're doing and talking about, but we are comfortable. And because we don't walk out of our comfort zone, we never do. Have we not done this with even God's truth in the simple things like his feasts where we come and we say, oh, we celebrate the feast like we just had the feast of Pentecost, Shavuot. Oh, we celebrate the feast and we feel all good and tidy inside. But yet in our day to day, we have no fruits of the spirit. So we celebrated a feast all about the Holy Spirit, yet in our life we have no fruits of the Spirit, and our feast celebrations are then in vain. It doesn't even matter. You, you might as well could have stayed home and not done a thing. You see, brothers and sisters, because I have witnessed people who have never kept a feast of God on a day in their life, but yet their fruits of the Spirit are in a much better condition than those, some of those who have been keeping feasts. And I want to submit to you in that case, the one who we think of that does not celebrate the feast days actually celebrated better because it's in their life. See, celebrating God's feast, celebrating Yeshua's walking in him. It is not about a date. It is not about a certain moment in time. It is about your life. But of course, it is human tendency to want to point the finger at others, to look to others, to examine others and not examine ourselves, to consider others, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We point the finger at adulterers, at murderers, at liars, at thieves, at those who Yeshua visited. But we don't consider our own heart's condition because we, we point the finger at others at the cost of examining ourselves. And ourselves, oh, our hearts, they're full of murder. They're full of lying, thieving, gossiping, hatred. We are no better. And yet God comes and he declares the judgment that you use, the measure you use, the standard you use to judge others by will be when you stand before me face to face. When I am the witness of your life, I will use that measure to judge you by. You see, like that's that woman, that accused woman who's been accused of adultery, who stands before God, the witness who will dictate, who will proclaim whether she is innocent or whether she's a pretender. And so we will stand before God. And I don't know about you, but man, I'm going to need all the grace that I can get. I'm going to need all the favor that I can get when I stand before him. Because see, for that woman who is about to drink of that, right, who is, and if she actually is guilty, the sin that is going to cause her to swell up is not the adultery that she committed. Think about this. The adultery is the reason she's there, but she now is drinking because this is her proclamation of being innocent. Her sin that causes her to swell up and her thigh to rot is the fact that she lied about her innocence, that she pretended to be righteous when she was not. You see, a greater sin I want to submit to you than the sins we often think about is the one who has sin but pretends to be innocent.
This is why Yeshua, when he was on earth, where did, where did he go? He went to the people who were not to the pretenders, but the people who were outwardly sinful wrecks. Some of them prostitutes, adulterers, drunkards, thieves, murderers. And he was among them all. Why? These men were outwardly evil, but yet he shied away from those who were the neat and tidy righteous Pharisees of his day who considered themselves without sin. You see, the man who admits he has sin is a heart that is reachable by Yeshua, a heart that is contrite, that can be healed. But the man who pretends like he's innocent is a man whose heart cannot be reached by God unless that man opens his heart himself, unless that man opens his heart and says, God, here I am a sinner. Each and every one of us will find ourselves in the position of that accused woman accused of adultery. We will each just as she stood before a witness of one God, we will stand before the witness of one. We, just as she was accused of adultery, we will be accused of adultery by the accuser. For us to re-enter the presence of Yeshua and of the Father, to re-enter that garden presence, just like the woman, for her to re-enter the presence of her husband again, for their relationship to be restored again, she needs to drink of the bitter water. And so we need to drink. We need a drink of Yeshua. And in that moment, she needs to take an oath and we need to take an oath. The oath of to declare that we are without sin, for it is the one who is without sin that can enter the presence of the father. But see, consider this beauty that with the woman, it was her husband who was the accuser who accused her of adultery and who has brought her before the priest to be tested. But with us, our Messiah was not the accuser, our husband, our bridegroom is not the accuser. Instead, he's the one who lays his life down and says, I will come and I will die for your sins. I will make you clean despite your adulteries. I do this for you and I will make your sin as far as the east is from the west. I will wipe you so clean that there is not a trace of that on you anymore before my father. So that when you come before him, when you become before the witness who has the authority to judge you, the authority to cause you into Gehenna or to give you eternal life, you will then be declared righteous because you can come and declare, I am without sin. I am without adulteries because my husband, my Messiah has declared me clean. This is the beauty of the cross. But see, God, Yeshua comes and he demands of us to put away our golden calves, 
to put away the images of him we've set up that would make us think we can get away with our sin while trying to be in a relationship with him. See, don't be deceived. God makes us clean of our sin. He forgives us when we repent, when we admit, when we are like the tax collector contrite of heart. But if we are going to be a pretentious Pharisee who will pretend to be holy, who will pretend to be declared to be right, even though we refuse to give up our sins, even though we refuse to repent, even though we refuse, but instead we've rebelled. God is not a fool who we think we can deceive. If we partake in Yeshua, let us partake in Yeshua with a clean heart. If we eat of the body and drink of the blood of the Messiah, let us do so with hearts that are worthy of him. Hearts that state, Lord, I have these sins. I repent, forgive me. And he repent, he forgives us. But let's not walk in there and partake in him and pretend like there's nothing wrong because that's the one that he will put away. God is calling brothers and sisters an equally yoked bride to him. But that can only come about by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, not your own works, not what you can do, not what how holy you are of yourself. You will fall short. You will fail. It is by what Yeshua has done for you. So you put all your trust in him and you repent of your sins as they happen. And you say, God, help me. And as you struggle with your flesh and as you fight and as you're a warrior in this battle, we all face God has mercy and he understands the struggles you you have. Hallelujah. He has that. But then you don't rebel. Then you turn and you keep fighting. The one who stops fighting, the one who says, I enjoy my sin, the one who says, I enjoy it even over my relationship with the father is the one who will come before him with a bowed down head, unable to face the one witness who has witnessed their entire life. So who will you be? What will you choose? And when you stand before him, before the one witness of your life, will you have evaluated yourself, tested your own works beforehand so that when you have come before him, there are no secrets anymore because before God, there will not be secrets. Father, I pray, Lord, for everyone listening to this, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and Help us examine ourselves. Lord, help us to see your glory and the body and the blood of what you've done and help us to partake worthily in a way of examination, not in a way of pretension. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord, for the people who are listening to this to put away hypocrisy. Help us to put away hypocrisy. Help us to put away lies and deceiving others, speaking one thing, doing another. Father, help us to be declared free of adulteries when we stand before you one day. God, I uh, Lord, we thank you for the for the sacrifice that you as our husband, you have died for us. We praise you for that. But help us, O God, to walk in a way honoring the death, honoring the resurrection, honoring the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. 
May the Father bless you, keep you. May he shine his face upon you, lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you shalom, rest. And I want to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this teaching and every other teaching this week possible. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you and God bless you.